Now, for some of you, I'm not sure whether this is good news or bad news, but football season is just around the corner. This is American football for my friends from other places. Um, I, I grew up a, a huge football fan. I love football. I, I was a Redskin fan. Of course, you might, you might cancel me for that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I know some of you would, but uh, I could get so excited in a football game. I just, I just loved it. I remember, and, and I hate to even admit to this, but I remember crying. When the, when the skins lost to the cowpokies on, on Thanksgiving Day, 1974. Now, I can't remember yesterday, but I remember that, right? Roger Staubach was knocked out of the game, and in comes his rookie, Clint Longley, and we were winning 16-3 to in the third quarter, 28-17 to with 28 seconds to go. Well, it was 23-17 with 28 seconds to go, and... No timeouts they had. And that sucker threw a 50-yard Hail Mary pass, and Drew Pearson caught the, and won the game. Oh, man, it ripped my heart out. And I was crying. I'm 14 years old, and I'm crying over a football game. I also remember those victories, though. I remember I was visiting a young lady up in Virginia Beach. She was in college with me, and uh, I worked up at Chesapeake at Geneva Park Church. She actually went to a different church, but after church, I was hanging out with her family, and we were all watching the game, and I remember I was laying on the floor, and we scored, and I jumped up in the air, and I was raising my hands, and, and I forgot they had a ceiling fan right over me. And I put my hands right in the blades, ow, you know, but yay, oh. I love football. I love playing high school football. And, you know, I've watched it my entire life, and I believe at times it was an idol. It was. I can remember sitting in church when I was a kid. Mama, please forgive me. I, I don't know if I've ever told her that. Uh, but I remember thinking to myself, I wish that guy would hurry up and finish <laughs> so I could get home and get ready for the game. <laughs> and looking back on it, I realized how immature that was. But there are many things that we can rejoice about. Our freedoms, our friends, our family, fun times, football if you want. But last week, as we talked about uh, the text out of Philippians 2, um, we learn that we can celebrate our Christian friendships. We can celebrate each other. It is right to do that. As Paul remembered his two young mentors, Timothy and Epaphroditus, we can celebrate that God has provided these people in our life. And we want to be people like that too. But do we just rejoice in the human relationships we have? Do we just rejoice and celebrate in the fun things that we go through? Absolutely not. In fact, if we had a meter, a rejoicing meter, we should be rejoicing in our relationship with God way more than we're rejoicing in some sport or even in our earthly friendships. So often our main focus is on the earthly, on our human relationships. And again, we, we should celebrate those things, but we find it easier to rejoice in people than we do in God. We find it easier to focus on what is right in front of us 
rather than a God and the promises he has that we can't see with our naked eye. And that's why we can get so excited about a, a ball game, we can fall asleep while the preacher's preaching. Of course, I know sometimes a preacher can be boring. I get that. We can get way more into hanging out with our friends than we get into hanging out with God. Does that seem like a problem to any of you? And, and is, it a, is that a reality for you as much as it is for me? Because I think that I've struggled with this at times. Today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. And in this chapter we discover that Paul had learned the right priority. At one time, he had been focused on the things that didn't matter, but he had learned to focus on the things that do matter. And he didn't want to be distracted by those other things. And Paul is saying to us, I think, rejoice in the Lord because he's the only way to eternal life. That relationship with Jesus is the only way that we have eternal life with God. Paul reminded the Philippians in whom they needed to rejoice in verse 1 of Philippians 3. Rejoice in the who? Lord. Paul may have had many things and people to rejoice in. And again, we, we talked last week about how he rejoiced in his friends, Timothy and Epaphroditus. But in chapter 3, he clearly highlights the fact that Jesus should be the priority for our rejoicing. Philippians 3.1, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul wanted the Christians to be glad in the Lord. Now, there are many things, again, we mentioned that in life that we can be glad about, but being glad about the Lord is the one thing we can do that can help us overcome all of the problems, all of the trials, all of the struggles of life. We can celebrate the fact that He is Lord. Amen? The one who loves us and died for us is the Lord of heaven and earth. That's something to celebrate. There is none beside Him. There is none greater than Him. There is none that can match Him in wisdom and power and grace. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, friend, you have something that will last for eternity. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will have an eternity, but it will not be something you will rejoice about. Only Christ can offer us the kind of eternity that has peace and joy and love and, and all of those characteristics of the Spirit. An eternity of Joy and peace in the presence of God is of far more value than anything that the world or people have to offer to us. So our focus needs to be on the Lord. Many things may attempt to take our focus away from Him. But remember, the critics don't matter. You know, because critics can take your mind off of what you need to be thinking about. And you know, Paul had many critics. There were critics among the Jews. There were critics from the Gentiles. There were even critics in the churches. 
but he would not be swayed from what really mattered. And in verses 2 through 3 of the text, Paul talks about some of these critics. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. That sounded a little mean, didn't it, Paul? I mean, calling people evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. As we read those comments, they, they may put some people off. I thought we were supposed to be nice when we talked about other people. What does he mean by calling these people dogs? Well, he's trying to tell the Philippian Christians to watch out or beware. Keep your eyes and ears on the alert for such people as these. And he does call them dogs and evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. But all three are depicting the one type of person. Now, it's, it's sort of a long word, but he's talking about those who he called Judaizers. We can also read about them uh, in pretty much, pretty much detail in Galatians. But they pretended to be Christians, but they were really trying to subvert Paul's preaching and teaching. They were bent on forcing Gentile Christian men to be circumcised in order to be Christians. They said, you have to do this if you're going to be saved. They wanted to hang on to those Jewish teachings of circumcision by teaching that only the circumcised could be saved. This is why he called them mutilators of the flesh. He's obviously angered by the fact that they're attempting to lead people away from faith in Christ and to a works-based salvation. But more than any personal anger, it's really an, an anger for the Lord. You're leading people away from God. He clarified that those who serve God and boast in Jesus are the true circumcision. Those who come to faith in Christ, uh, our hearts are circumcised when we come to faith in Christ. In Colossians 2, we read, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, this is verse 11, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, now, some people want to make baptism out to be circumcision, modern day circumcision. But clearly in the passage, Paul reveals that it is through our baptism into Christ that our sinful self, the flesh, was cut off, and that was not done by human hands. It was done by God himself. So if you want to make uh, some kind of connection, that's it. So a physical circumcision means nothing if our sinful nature is not cut off. So these critics, these folks who wanted to undermine Paul's work didn't really matter. He wasn't going to get distracted by them. They were a pain in the neck, yes. Yes. 
Have you ever had somebody criticize you? Have you ever had anybody that couldn't say a positive thing about you? Sure, we all have. And they can be a pain in the neck. But for Paul, the worst part was that they led people astray. And ultimately, they didn't matter. Not only was that true, but Paul says even the past doesn't matter. At one time, Paul would have been a part of that same group. <laughs> he, he was just as legalistic and evil in his thinking as they were. But something changed in Paul. And we read about that in verses 4 through 7 of our text. He writes, though I myself have reason for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, Paul basically is saying, look, I could have bragged about all this stuff these people think is so important. There are many earthly reasons for Paul to have been able to brag. He could have rejoiced in many things that he later discovered didn't matter. In fact, he wrote down that list of things for us so that we could see it. Things that at one time he was proud of. Yes, he was circumcised like all Jewish boys on the eighth day of his life. He was Jewish, born of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, being a member of the tribe of Benjamin was something even uh, more important than being a member of any of these other tribes. Benjamin, of course, was the only son of Israel born in the land of promise, and his mother Rachel was Jacob's most beloved wife. It would be the tribes of Benjamin and Judah who would remain faithful to God during the Babylonian captivity. So strictly from a heritage point of view, Paul could be proud. Hey, I'm a member of this tribe. He studied and became a Pharisee. He had to work hard to accomplish that goal. Sadducees inherited their positions, but you had to earn your way as a Pharisee. They were the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. Paul had prided himself in the fact that he was legalistic regarding the law before he came to Christ. In fact, he was so zealous for the cause that he persecuted those who followed Jesus. And he counted this zeal as zeal towards God at the time he was doing it. At one time he was proud that he was so committed that he would go out and destroy families for the cause of his religious beliefs. He considered himself righteous. That is, according to his fellow Pharisees, he was righteous. Yes, he performed all the rituals. He washed his hands correctly. He memorized scriptures. He wore the right kinds of clothes. And he would never touch anything unclean. 
That was the standard of righteousness in which he said he was faultless. But he discovered another standard of righteousness. He's going to mention that in a few verses, but as Paul looked back on his life, on his heritage, on his personal accomplishments, he discovered something. Now that he was in Christ, they all meant nothing to him. All those things which he thought made his life better. In other words, he gained something as a result of all these things. Now, as he's looking back from his different vantage point in Christ, he says there was no gain to them at all. You see, the only thing that does matter is Jesus. Paul came to that conclusion after he came to know Jesus. All of the things that brought him joy in life were meaningless compared to knowing Jesus. So he writes in verses 8 and 9 of Philippians 3, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the, or from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see, Paul considered all the stuff in his past as loss. In fact, they were worse than useless. Now, they were more of a hindrance because in a way he had to unlearn all of that stuff. All of his previous opinions had to be dismantled because they led him away from Jesus and into legalism. If Paul held on to those beliefs, he could not have Christ in his life. He had to choose. In fact, as he looked back on those things, he had some pretty harsh words for the way he used to be. He said, now in our translation it says they were like garbage to him. Now, it actually has a, a much nastier meaning. It, literally, they were no more worth keeping than he would keep a pile of manure. That, that's what he's saying. Now, maybe some of you farmers want to keep a pile of manure, but most of us, hey, you know, we want to get rid of that. Of much greater value was the relationship with Christ that he found. The righteousness he found in Christ far outweighed the righteousness that he once tried to live up to. He found that the righteousness he once sought was not really righteousness at all. It was all a show that didn't mean anything. Look, if you think that coming to church, that reading your Bible, that putting money in the plate, is what's going to save you. And all of those things are the righteous things that God's going to say, oh yeah, they're a great Christian. Friend, anybody can go to church. Anybody can read their Bible. Anybody can put money in the plate. It's those who obey Christ and follow Him. That's the ones that know the real relationship. The only thing that really mattered to Paul was knowing Jesus. But you might ask the question, why does that matter? 
Why does it matter that we have a relationship with Jesus? Well, the reason is the resurrection. All the other things Paul knew, all the work, all that study, all the legalistic efforts did not bring about a resurrection. Only Christ can offer the resurrection. And in verse 10 and 11, we read, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What did Paul mean? Well, first of all, he said he wanted to know Christ. Now, that doesn't mean he wanted to know about Jesus. It means he wants to know him personally and to experience what Jesus can do in his life. Now, there's a big difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. You can be a fan of some entertainer, some athlete. You can know all that person's statistics. You can know about where they were born, where they live now, about their family, who they're married to, their hobbies. You can even know how much money they make. But if you walk up to that person and you say, hey, friend, they're going to look at you and say, hey, take them away from me. <laughs> they wouldn't have a clue who you are. But if you were a personal friend, I mean, you know more than the stats. You know the hurts. You know the pains. You know the joys. You know the sorrows. You know about their good days and their bad days. You probably know about their opinions on any number of topics. Paul didn't just want to know the stats. He had the mental knowledge that Jesus was the Son of God. He had knowledge of Jesus' birth, of his life, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. But Paul wanted a personal relationship with Jesus. Why? Because he wanted to experience the same resurrection that Jesus experienced. Now, he acknowledged that he would have to go through suffering and experience death before the resurrection would come. This is what Jesus experienced, right? Paul was not wishing for himself to have some easy pass. Well, I'll live here, you know, my little life, and then I'll just, woo, I'll be gone. Yay, celebrate. He understood that to experience the resurrection like Jesus, he would have to experience life like Jesus. We often want the resurrection, but we don't want to suffer to get there, do we? I mean, we're not masochists. It's not like, well, I want to suffer. No. But we understand that when we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord, the world is not going to love us for that. The world is not going to accept us for that. In fact, we will be treated like we're crazy people because we believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, the world doesn't have the Holy Spirit. They cannot understand. So we need to expect some suffering. We need to expect some persecution. We need to expect some rejection. In fact, if we aren't experiencing any of that, that may be an indication there's a problem. Jesus told his own disciples that this would happen to them in Matthew 24, 9. Then he handed 
Then, then he said, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. That's Jesus saying that. You will be hated. Paul would also explain to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Who? Why? If you think you can just jump to the resurrection without going through the trials, friend, you aren't really committed. But the promise is that a resurrection awaits those who are faithful and committed. This is truly what sets faith in Christ apart from all other religions. The teaching of a bodily resurrection was the focal points, point of the teaching of the apostles. You go back to Acts chapter 4 and verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. What were they preaching? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now the concept of the resurrection was what got everyone's attention. It was what caused some to reject their teaching, but others to seek more understanding. You may remember when Paul had traveled to Athens, and he went to this place called the Areopagus where all the philosophers would meet and they would listen to the latest ideas. And Paul had an opportunity to get up and speak to all of them. And in verse 32 of Acts 17 we read, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. So obviously, a big part of Paul's preaching was the resurrection. Christ and the resurrection are the only things that matter. All the other stuff, we, we get distracted, but they have no real meaning. Governments come and go, right? Jobs last for a while, then they're over. In fact, you get it, you were so excited about it, now you want it, go on to another one. The money we make gets spent, we leave it behind to someone else. The houses decay and one day we're gone and we leave them behind. Everything we make, so important in this life, entertainment, sports, money, material possessions, will one day be no more. You understand that, right? What lasts are the spiritual relationships we've made because of the promise of the resurrection. So what does all this mean? Well, it means that we need to focus on what matters. Paul understood that he had not received the resurrection yet, so he wanted to keep his eye on the prize. So let's read the final portion of our text today, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. 
But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul pressed on to win the prize. He wasn't going to stop halfway, you know. He wasn't going to get close to the goal line or the finish line. Paul was going to go all the way in faith. Paul let the past be the past. His focus was getting to that finish line. Paul was saddened, of course, by those who rejected Christ. He knew what the outcome would be for them. He didn't want that for them, but it was their choice. But as for him, his citizenship was in heaven. And he was going to focus his life and his energy on living for Christ. He knew that only Christ could transform that physical body into a glorious body when he received his resurrection. Now, I got a question for all of us. Are you focused on what matters? Are you focused on all the things that can take away, be taken away from you in just a second? Are you focused on things that are temporary, that won't last? Are you focused on things that have no meaning other than some temporary feeling of fun or entertainment? Several years ago, I was in India with my friend Ajay Law, and uh, he, he told me that day we're going to go to this big uh, soccer tournament. Of course, everybody else in the world calls it football, right? But uh, we're going over here to this soccer tournament. So we, we go over, and they escort us in, and they sit, seat us in these seats, and we sit down, and Ajay leans over, and he says, uh, they want you to speak when this is over. What? What am I going to say? I don't know what to say. And Ajay just said, well, you, you got to come up with something because they want you to speak when this is over. So um, after the game was over, the teams came, and we actually handed out their trophies to them. And uh, all the teams sat down in front of us. And, and these were young men. These were not little kids playing. These, these were young men. Uh, I'd say teenagers and early 20s. And uh, so I addressed them in the crowd. I, all I could think of was to mention that 
when I was their age, when I, when I was in high school, I played American football. And um, I shared a few lessons about life I had learned from that experience. Later on, Ajay told me that someone, uh, the, the newspapers had been there, and an article had been written in the paper, and they had mentioned me. I'm like, no, you're just joking. You're kidding. He said, no, no, here it is. And he pulls out this newspaper, and he shows it to me. Now, he shows me the picture, and I can see in the picture, in a little caption picture, Ajay and me handing out the trophies to the players. Now, it's written in Hindi, so I have no idea what they're saying about this picture. But he, he explains to me that this is what the caption says. Guest speaker for the tournament was American football player Tim Turner. Now, that's funny. But as much as I used to eat, sleep, breathe football, I don't consider myself a football player. I know you don't either. It just doesn't matter to me as much as it used to. Oh, I, I, sure, I root for my teams. I'm never going to cry over my team losing again. <laughs> My relationship with Jesus is so much more important than a game. I've learned that that game and everything else is temporary. My relationship with Jesus is eternal and it is what gives me the promise of my own eternity. It's the one thing that matters most more than anything else. I read about a an actual football player, Ricardo Lockett. Some of you that have been Seattle Seahawks fans might remember uh, he helped them win the Super Bowl in 2014. But on November the 1st, 2015, uh, he was a wide receiver, special teams player. He was blindsided by this vicious hit, and he was left sprawled out on the field in front of 90,000 people. They were playing the Cowboys again. A year after that hit near, nearly broke his neck and took his life, Lockett reflected. He said, it's crazy what matters to you when you're in that situation. Cars, jewelry, big houses, Super Bowls. It all seems so meaningless. I came up from nothing. Undrafted, practice squad, released a bunch of times. Then I made it to three Super Bowls in a row. I have a saying, kind of like a mantra, $100 and a dream. I used to want a black Lamborghini and a seven-room house. That's what I dreamed about. Now, all of a sudden, I can't move. And the only thing that mattered to me in the entire world was being able to see my family again, to hold my kids in my arms. And after surgery to repair my damaged vertebra and a few weeks of serious rehabilitation, I was walking around just fine, and we were playing basketball again. But a few months later, in early May, I made a decision to retire from football at the age of 29. My head coach, Pete Carroll, used to preach to us all the time, you live in a temporary fairy tale. Your fans are temporary. Your coaches are temporary. Your teammates, as much as they love you, are temporary. 
The big houses you live in are temporary. You can enjoy all that stuff, but it's not what will bring you happiness. When I was laying motionless on that turf in Dallas, I was completely dependent upon the help of others. It was the exact opposite of the mindset I had from the moment I got to Seahawks camp as a rookie. You're a rock star. You're a leader. You're the alpha. This is all yours for the taking. Then in one second, you're helpless. That's the end of that quote. Friends, are you chasing the temporary or are you chasing the eternal? Paul chased the eternal. He understood that the only thing that mattered was his relationship with Christ and the resurrection that Jesus offers. If you have that, then the things that, nothing matters more than that. The thing that matters more than teaching your children to catch a ball or how to make money or how to drive a car is to know Jesus. If you don't have that relationship today, in this moment, the only thing that matters is whether you will accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Food doesn't matter. Getting to the grocery store doesn't matter. That roast on the stove doesn't matter. What matters is you knowing Jesus. And when you have Him, you can rejoice in the Lord and the eternal life He offers you. That is what truly matters. Father God, we thank You. We thank You that Paul reminded us today of what really matters. And we pray, God, that we might set our priority on the same thing because only in Jesus and through Jesus can we experience eternal life? He is our Lord and Savior. He loved us so much that He gave His life that we might have the hope of eternal life. And so, Father, as we come to You today, I pray that if there's someone here that needs to accept Christ, that they would come and talk to us so that we might lead them to that decision Maybe there's others here who have already accepted Christ, but their priorities are all mixed up. It's all about the money. It's all about the sports. It's all about the entertainment. I pray, Father, that you would just help each of us be reminded of what really matters. And it's in Jesus' name.